Hello and welcome to the Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM, or perhaps on one of our appreciated radio syndicate partners, or on the podcast at Green Majority. I am David Hostetter. I'm with Stefan Hostetter and Saren Kaser, and we have three special and excellent guests. Lauren Latour, the one and only, joins us in the flesh this week instead of on the phone. (laughs) Thank you, Lauren. So stoked to be here. For being in town. And also we have two other special guests. We have Fatima Syed and Emma McIntosh of the National Observer. Hello. Good to be here. Excellent. And we are going to discuss the four uh, major parties' political platforms. The election is in two weeks. That is true. Wait, but did nobody else prep the, <laughs> the People's Party? Am right. I the only one? <laughs> Are you really ready for that? No, no, oh my God, I'm lying. No, absolutely not. I was going to make a, a joke that we just did not consider them a party, but you know. Uh, yes, and we're, yeah, so we're going to get into that. But first, Stefan is going to introduce uh, some things he wanted to discuss. Yes, thank you, Dave. Stefan wanted to pop off briefly. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so there are a couple uh, a couple things that be, because we we don't we decided to plan this particular conversation like uh, two months in advance, mm. which I will say rare for us. So kudos mm. to us, specifically uh, Lauren, who was like, we should do a, a whole show about about these platforms. And we're like, that's what we agree. We did not do our research two months ago, though. <laughs> no, no. Uh, honestly, we would have been wrong. Like that was part of the thing about this was like looking at like even the two weeks ago uh, platforms are like these are the kind of platforms like well and then everyone said they were going to do more things so um, so I'm going to say that waiting for a while worked in our advantage but um, but because of that there we aren't able to cover uh, both the the hundred debates that uh, that happened yesterday um, and uh, across across Canada uh, except for the 905 as, uh, as we there were was discussing. no hundred debates in the 905 I'm very <laughs> mad about this Milton. <laughs> except, except Milton. Milton shout out Milton all right <laughs> we have listeners in Milton well done um, but Mississauga I'm looking at you <laughs> um, but uh, but but there was some in the Yukon so really cross wow. cross Canada wow. um, and uh, and and you know carrying forward this conversation from you know from last week's climate protest that we uh, that we obviously covered uh, to the climate emergency that was declared in Toronto uh, on on Wednesday that was a unanimously passed, uh, which mm. in some ways mm. indicates I think that the fight is around funding. So like you know when 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 anyone named Ford votes for a thing with the word climate in it, that to me speaks a little bit like this currently does not have enough uh, weight behind it. Uh. But 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 the actual um, text of the motion was uh, was. Strong. Okay. Um, it was pushed from the from the ground up. It came. Mm-hmm. A lot of the text was 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 created uh, by actually by civil society. Word. Um, and and so a lot of what's being put forward there is uh, is is great. Like if we actually do this, you know, it's it's one thing to it's one thing to 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 have a plan and then not fund it. But the plan's existence and its targets, you know, it ramped up targets to twenty to carbon neutral or carbon zero by twenty fifty to look at twenty forty, which was the actual ask from civil society. Mm. But you know, you know politicians um and uh and it includes includes some honestly some it includes a conversation around creating a carbon budget which is super interesting like a mm. specific budget for for just dealing with climate change mm. um and it it even mentions it doesn't say the word divestment but it like it hints at it 
which okay. I, which is okay. like an interesting uh, little thing there. And then also front and center requires uh, the city's pl- action plans to both uh, use the uh, to both follow UNDRIP in its in its use uh, in its motions on climate wow. and also the equity lens that they recently passed as well. Uh, shout out to Progress Toronto for their work on that. Um, and so from a standpoint of like, do we now have a plan to move forward? Yes. Mm, the words are on the paper. Words on the paper. Um, yes. Although that's uh, all it takes. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, if only uh, those words could tear down the gardener, uh, we'd be fine. Um, but uh, I just want to quickly say yeah. that uh, there are 458 jurisdictions in Canada that have already done this. So it took a while, but glad to have Toronto on board. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and yeah, and, and but like at least you know I. I I, I like the fact that this motion is not, say, like the Liberals' motion for climate change earlier this year, which really was just a bunch of words. There's a level of at least, I would rather them have done it now with some oomph rather than like two years ago, just being like, we said words. I'm like, okay, great. I'm, you still you still are going to spend billions of dollars from the gardener. Anyways, I'm going to move off the gardener uh, <laughs> because it's probably boring any listener who's not me specifically. They could be on the gardener right now. That's true. Honestly, a good percentage of our listeners are currently driving vehicles. That is uh, who listens to the radio these days. Um, Sorry for anyone not from Toronto. The gardener is a highway. Ah, yes. <laughs> a very you. stressful highway. Yes. Um, th- thank you for the reminder. Uh, um but uh, but sorry, so we'll, let's move forward on that because we actually do have. Uh, we, I want to get uh, as quickly as we can to the uh, to the to the conversations around the different platforms. But there's also a big story uh, that 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 you at the National Observer broke. I believe last Friday was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, surrounding a, a whole bunch of. I'm going to say data collection. Uh, from the Canadian Association for, for, for Petroleum Producers. I should remember to say that slowly because it's a bit of a mouthful. Um, it's so, a tongue twister. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and you've been working on it for a while. So can you sort of outline uh, what that is? Sure. Um, so the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, for anyone who's listening and doesn't know who they are, uh, we're going to shorten them to CAP, C-A-P-P. Yeah. Uh, CAP is Canada's largest oil lobby group. Um, and, and these who... They have some interesting things that they do. Um, that, that is true. That <laughs> that show that they have influence over what's going on in Canada's energy sector. Um, so about a year ago, um, I would say last summer, um, I received uh, tips that they were running a survey collecting personal information from so-called energy citizens. So this include like, what music do you like? What car do you like? What are your leisure activities? Um, and they didn't really state why they were collecting this or what they were gonna do with this information. Um, so I wrote a story back then, but then it just didn't feel complete because I'm like, I don't know what they're using this information for. Fast forward several months and Emma <laughs> joins a National Observer. And on the side, Emma's been doing her own digging into CAP. Yeah, so I was looking at CAP's uh, social media ad activity of all things. Um, and I noticed that what they were doing was basically redirecting all of their Facebook ads to this pledge to vote energy. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Um, so this like energy pledge basically collected more data, like you know, simpler stuff, just your email, your postal code, your name, your phone number. But um, it kind of struck the same theme. And so um, at some point we realized we were working on the same story. Yeah, we finish each other's sentences too. <laughs> so, um, so then we decided to join forces. And uh, I guess 
that was kind of when we realized we had the thing that connected them. Yeah, and it's interesting because if we're going to link this to the election, CAP has registered as a third party for the very first time. Mm -hmm. Uh, What this means is that they are now actively paying money to do advertising regarding energy initiatives that are being proposed during by by any political party and, and political leader who's running for office. Um, so we've been tracking that. And what we found, like in the bigger scheme of things, it feels like CAP has been preparing for this for a very, very long time. And they've been doing what we know, we who are familiar with energy and environment um, issues, um, what we've seen in America, where the oil lobby and the gas lobby has such massive influence over politics and can really really, you know, push them and stop them and, you know, change their minds very quickly. And and it looks like, although we don't have confirmation from them because they don't talk to National Observer anymore. <laughs> um, really? They really don't. Can't uh, imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> we got a statement saying we don't talk to National Observer. Wow. <laughs> That's literally all they said in an email at one point. Do you, do you still have to like, because you know, we used to have, uh, when, when Mike D'Souza was, was National Observer, he came on the show a couple times and... And he was very adamant about, you know, always making sure you checked in uh, with the with source first. So do, you, do you still send these check-ins with them and they keep sending back the same message over and over again? Or do they say it once and now they're just never responding again? Stefan, I wrote a 1,500-word email. Wow. It was so detailed. <laughs> <laughs> and we got no response. All right. Um, <laughs> so we don't know what they're right. doing with this data. But it's important because we need to know what they're doing with this data and how it's going to influence politics and pipelines and energy and environment and all of that. So we're following this issue closely. Uh, mm. Check it out at National Observer. One yeah. thing I want to add, though, is we're not just saying that we think that CAP is doing this based on, like, the American oil lobby tried this and it worked. We actually know that they plan to do it. Um, a source pointed us to this YouTube video where um, an official from the American oil lobby came to Calgary to teach CAP how they did it. And he was like, oh, yeah, we got like a couple million voter profiles. We have influence Mm. over all these state governors, thousands of local politicians. And look, we've defeated every single climate policy idea that has ever crossed the legislature or the Congress or anywhere. Wow. Wow. And, and then uh, Cap puts out this press release being like, this is very exciting and we want to try it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're pretty much just being like, you know, it's, it's, it's like Trump on the lawn, you know, being like, yes, I asked Ukraine to do this. It's like, we are excited to try this new technique. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, obviously we don't have confirmation from right. them that this is how this is going, but it, it certainly looks like it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this, and feel free to... to to not go this far in case I'm I'm extending this a little bit too far, but the the way that this voter uh, these voter profiles sound and this could be uh, s- sounds at least similar to uh, to the to what Cambridge Analytica was trying to do in in the states uh, or or in Brexit like the the idea that you can create this sort of wide range of of user profiles and sort of use that to uh, to to influence policy as you like um, now. Like I'm obviously not saying this is the exact same, considering I think Kim Jong actually stole data from people, which is obviously a bit of a different move. And but it does feel like this sort of building up. This is sort of where we're at now. Is that this idea of micro-targeting uh, these individuals, uh, maybe in, in weird ways? Like, oh, you like this band? Maybe you also want like the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Mm. <laughs> I am. I think you're right about that. You know, you're right that we can't directly compare it to Cambridge Analytica, but it is in the same vein. And 
you're right to bring up micro-targeting because what they do with these profiles is they use them to kind of micro-target their ad money and their campaigns to these swing ridings where they can actually make a difference and actually elect oil-friendly politicians. So. Mm. Interesting. Cool. Okay. Um, so, is there? Because uh, I do want to give us a, a little bit extra time to get to these these four these four uh, these four platforms. But I want to make sure that there's is there something else that you really like? Is there something when you were doing this story that you were like people should know this thing or that surprised you or a way for people to carry forward? I think that we're in this very unprecedented election in this country where we're talking about climate and energy more than we ever thought that we would. And we have this oil lobby that we know very little about that is using all the things that we were seeing across the world, whether it's Brexit or whether it's the way Trump was elected. Um, things like data and social media are now having more influence over you know, how voters get to the ballot box and what they actually check on that ticket. Um, so I think we just, you know, while we were tracking this, we're like, this is really strange we don't fully understand it, but we can connect the dots and we can see a picture that's very frightening should it occur, like result in strange things in Canada. And we need to be more vigilant and track it both as vo voters and just Canadian citizens. Um, so next time you like a Facebook page or you see a chat box pop up or you give a survey, just make sure you know what you're signing up for and, and you have all the information before you say yes to anything. One thing I would add that we should not forget is that in all this this talk in Canadian politics right now about foreign influence, CAP is actually backed by companies that are majority foreign-owned. Mm. So um, that's a prime example of foreign influence right there. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. We've we've got into the the the, uh, the conversation or in Canada or that ever frames the oil industry as like the this small fledgling thing with big environment coming after them is always just just so ludicrous I can't help but laugh but it remains a true thing that keeps getting trotted out there from time to time and time to time, time again um, uh, but great okay so we will come back uh, to talk about all four parties platforms uh, which is great because you guys have actually been doing uh, writing, working on a story right now about it and so we can we can all talk about this in some capacity um, and so we will be right back and going to throw to a music break or just we'll play music we'll find out <laughs> oh all right Okay, so um, we'll get to that soon. We'll get to this. We'll get to this break soon. So actually, well, let's go here uh, to you, to you, Dave. Um, we have four stories uh, or four political platforms. That's right. Uh, which uh, who are we tackling first? Well, we're going to obviously start with Justin Trudeau. Oh, of class. Obviously, with Justin Trudeau, then right. we're going to have Mr. Sheer. Uh, okay. You have to go to Mr. Sheer after Justin Trudeau. Right. And then Jugmeet Singh. Right. Followed by Elizabeth May. Okay, so we got so we have the we Wait, have what sort about of the People's Party of Canada. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so right at the end, we have like ten seconds. It's all we need. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. upset that we're not us. talking about the Marxists. <laughs> Marxist Leninists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, there were a lot of socialists at the hundred debates. I'm right. just saying. Yeah, oh, they oh, want oh, to yeah. talk about climate. I, as I mm -hmm. tweeted out, mm -hmm. there were mm -hmm. so many ten year olds chanting "Eat the rich" at that march. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God! Best case scenario. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a true movement of these of these children. It was incredible, um, but uh, but yeah, I feel like we're we're going to. 
the, the joke about the Marxists, but they did actually reach out to us to see if they could be on the show. They wanted to talk about their platform, and I was like, it's really complicated to have uh, to like actually have political parties on the on the broadcast. And so I was like, I'm sorry, I don't think we do this yet. Uh, but the Marxists have reached out to us, so uh, maybe maybe next election we'll figure this out. Uh, I believe we are now going to go to music break. <laughs> Lying in bed, just like Brian Wilson did. Well, I have. I'm lying in bed, just like Brian Wilson did. Lying in bed, just like Brian Wilson did. Sorry. Wait, you guys That's have different bad. last names, That's right? My <laughs> uh, Stefan's last name is Hostetter. My last name is Hostetter. Yes. Okay. Are we are we actually brothers? Also, yes. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> do we disagree on how to pronounce our last name? Yes. Okay. It's a matter of aesthetics, uh, not opinion. <laughs> so, uh, yes, this is the Green Majority, of course, CIUT 89.5 FM. Thank you for joining us again. We have a full house of uh, excellent panelists to discuss these uh, climate platforms. Yeah. Election in two weeks. So, we're going to begin with the Liberals. So, the Liberal Environmental Plan vows to fight as well as prepare for climate change. It states, quote, We can't afford to go back to the Harper years when the conservatives did nothing about climate change. We need to take our lead from young people and step up our fight, and we need to do it now. They plan to achieve net zero emissions by 2050 by setting legally binding five-year emissions milestones based on input from experts and the public. Appoint a group of scientists, economists, and other unspecified experts to advise the government on its overall emissions trajectory and exceed our current 2030 goal through new unspecified measures. Our current 2030 goal is that set by the Harper government of 30% below 2005 levels. They also promise a Just Transition Act to help workers, quote, succeed in the clean economy. They will strengthen their federally mandated carbon tax, which is supposed to have risen uh, to $50 a ton by 2022, and which should rise to at least $135 a ton in order to have a real impact, but the Liberals are not certain what they'll do about it after 2022. They vow to plant 2 billion trees, create a low-cost national flood insurance program, provide flood maps to people looking to buy property, create a plan to help move people away from flood-prone areas, implement new disaster assistance measures, and invest an extra billion dollars in disaster protection and adaptation, and invest all profits from the Trans Mountain expansion towards clean energy. They will provide free energy audits, help retrofit 1.5 million homes, provide interest-free loans for further retrofitting, provide incentives to build zero-emissions homes, and invest $100 million in training towards these ends. They will also invest in charging stations and in some new electric vehicles, requiring all new investment in public transit vehicles to be zero emissions starting in 2023, and invest $5 billion in a clean power fund. They plan to conserve a quarter of Canadian land and a quarter of Canadian oceans by 2025 and move this up to almost a third by 2030. They also state that they want business and manufacturers to, quote, take full responsibility for collecting and recycling their plastic waste. They will create a Canada Water Agency and try to make fishing more sustainable. I and, and it'll do the, all of that uh, while uh, getting electoral reform passed. Mm, yeah. Okay. 
Real, okay. real fact. You forgot to uh, mention not a real fact. handguns. Um, but <laughs> I think it indicates my level of sarcasm towards this plan. Um, uh, I, I actually want to, before we get too sarcastic, I do want to see if, if National Reserve folks uh, have anything they want, uh, anything that jumped out at them or anything specific they want to throw in before uh, we, again, get quite sarcastic. <laughs> well, I think um, the number one point with a liberal plan is that it's the one that people have said is the most feasible. Well, that's a great word. Um, yeah, feasible is <laughs> a word. Um, but I think there's also a widespread consensus. And, and Fatima, tell me if I'm wrong, that this won't get us to our Paris goals. Yeah, we're not going to reach our goals with the liberal plan. Right. Having said that... Even the new plan, like the plan they reached like no, a week ago. Wow. We're not gonna, we're gonna, no, we're not going to reach our, our Paris uh, targets for 2050 or reduce our emissions that we need to by 2050 um, under even the plan they've proposed. But... Um, despite the pipeline and the sort of lack of ambition, one could argue, mm -hmm. um, the liberals have delivered the country's first national climate plan, and they're looking for voters to elect them so they can continue to build upon that. Um, you know, there are some good things like two billion trees. Um, there, there's things like the carbon price, which everyone says across the board is a great thing and they've actually implemented and, and are seeking to continue to build upon. Um, so there's a lot to like. Um, there's a lot to build on that they're proposing. Um, but as voters, if we do elect them, um, one would hope they'd become more ambitious. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, now uh, on to sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> Lauren, would you like to take it away? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily know if this is like dictionary definition of sarcasm, but maybe maybe a fair bit of shade. I've been watching a lot of RuPaul lately, and I'm going to try to channel that. Um, but yeah, going back to one of the very first things that, that David had talked about, um, there was like this sort of like the rhetoric around, like, we can't go back to the Harper era, blah, 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 we have to look to the youth, and it's like, yes, I agree. We cannot go back to the Harper era. We cannot continue to use those targets, and yes, we should be looking to youth for leadership, but also, like has been mentioned already today, I sort of don't believe a single word that come out of their mouths, <laughs> because unfortunately, like, like, I'm fully copying to this right now, but like I voted liberal last time, mm. you know, like I, it's not that, it's not that I genuinely thought that Trudeau was the golden boy he all wanted us to think he was, <laughs> but there was this idea that like, here was a leader offering electoral reform. Here was a leader saying that they were going to overhaul the uh, evaluation system for, for environmental, um, God, what's that acronym I'm thinking of? The NEB. Thank you. Um, and, and, and they failed on so many of those promises. Um, so unfortunately, ooh, I have a really, really hard time having a lot of faith in a lot of these promises, even though so many of them are so good. Things that stick out to me as being really positive are the Just Transition Act, which of course builds on the Coal Just Transition Task Force, which was really fantastic. So that's an area in which I actually do have a little bit of faith in them because they have delivered a little bit. The Coal Task Force was amazing. I'm hoping they can scale that up to be a Just Transition Task Force that will affect and touch on all labors in, in the fossil fuel sector. Um, other really good things are... Um, the fact that, that their targets they're committing to uh, to them being legally binding and enforceable that way, and that they're going to start to implement five-year milestones instead of just having those distant 10-year, 30-year targets, um, which is really positive because we know looking at other countries who have enforced um, carbon budgets and five-year five -year, uh, milestones and um, 
uh, legal enforceability, that, that that does result in people meeting their targets. Looking specifically at a country like the UK, the last I looked, and, and these numbers to me even seem unbelievable, so like double check them, but it's, it's something insane. Like uh, the UK was able to reduce their emissions like 38% below 1990 levels, which puts them back in line with their emissions from 1890, wow. which like, yes, that was, that was peak like coal emitting UK, <laughs> right. but still 38% is a lot. Um, and that's because they put in, they put in place those, those measures around accountability and, um, and law enforcement. So, so there's some really good things here. Um, but it is really hard to have faith in a party that recanted on so many of, of the promises that won us in the first place or that they won us over with in the first place. I also want to quickly add that with all the emphasis on youth, there's also, I wish there was more emphasis on indigenous communities because this is a government that was first elected because they wanted to reframe their entire relationship with indigenous right. peoples. And time and time again, we, we, we hear it, but we don't really mm -hmm. see it. And uh, in the proposed liberal plan, there's very little indigenous nods. Mm -hmm. And what blows my mind there is like, Rock the Vote showed up. Like indigenous communities really showed up last, last election um, because Trudeau, again, drove home that he was gonna finally be there to represent them in, in a way that, that sort of Canadian governments hadn't in the past. And, and yeah, they, they chose TMX, they chose Alberta over those communities. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of with you, Lauren, in that it's, it's really hard to judge a plan from a, from, a, from a party that has not followed through on their previous plans. You know, I, I, I actually think that a undercovered story um, in this election, or something that floats under the surface, I think, and maybe this my, my circles and maybe I'm wrong, but like the amount of frustration that exists for the fact that they did not deliver electoral reform is palpable. Like, like it's the it's the thing people I think like you know you, you know you got to be bought a pipeline comes back and back again as like a as a clapback towards all of their climate stuff. But but the fact that so many people were like this is our one chance to get this done, and then they had the power and just straight up chose not to, is to me I think like I have I have multiple friends who again voted you know voted liberal and are like I will never vote liberal again. Like you, you literally, you, you lied to my face. Uh, you, you famously said this is the last election under first past the post. And guess what? 2016 Justin Trudeau, we are about to have another election under first past the post. Mm -hmm. mm. The lie detector determined that you are the father. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll come back maybe at the end to talk about the larger things. Uh, I will. The last thing I will say is just the idea that they want businesses and manufacturers to take full responsibility for collecting their and recycling their plastic waste is not the same thing as having a plan to do that. Uh, so, like, if we don't believe your plans, I definitely don't believe the things you quote unquote want. Like, have, a, have an idea or don't say it at all. Come on. Um, oh, Sarah, then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, just really quickly, I'm going to, uh, I've been talking with Dave about coming back and doing, spending a whole time on this later. So this is like the micro condensed version, but my litmus test for the most, mostly on the liberals because they're the current government in power, but this is my litmus test for every single climate plan. It's very, very simple. There is no way to take action on climate change that does not put oil workers out of work. So if your plans for climate change, if your policy does not include any sort of like vast employment security, like if that's not a spearhead of your plan, if that's not a major feature of your plan is how we're going to take care of anyone who's impacted by our action on climate, then you're lying flat out, full stop. 
Give yeah. me a jobs guarantee. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, speaking of an, uh, of people not paying attention to to oil workers in Alberta, the Conservatives. So after downplaying and yet admitting to the reality of anthropogenic climate change and pointing the finger at the huge spike in Chinese emissions since 2000, the Conservative Environmental Plan states, quote, It is important to note that our provincial governments are already making headway on reducing their own emissions. The diversity of our federation is our own unique advantage to identify and implement new approaches to reduce emissions both at home and abroad. They make no commitment to meeting our Harper-era Paris Agreement targets, but state that their plan will, quote, give Canada the best chance at reaching them. They then state that the carbon tax is achieving nothing while making everyday life more expensive. Instead, they will pursue green technology, conservation, and natural gas exports. They say that if a company exceeds an unspecified emissions standard, the company will be forced to make green investments. They will create a certification program to ensure the credibility of these investments, which could range from R&D to green bonds to college programs. They're also offering a tax credit for retrofitting homes of up to $3,800 a year, uh, which will cost the government $900 million a year. These green improvements include things like better insulation, more efficient furnaces, and solar panels. They will put in place a government standard to ensure the eligibility of these renovations. They also want to encourage people to borrow private money for retrofitting, uh, create a non-mandatory net-zero building standard, encourage the use of wood and low-carbon cement in construction, reduce the tax rate to 5% on income generated from Canadian developed and patented green tech, invest $250 million in Canadian green tech, create an online hub for innovators, increase the efficiency of cross-border transportation, help farmers and promote clean power in unspecified ways, get rid of the clean fuel standard and instead promote what they call renewable fuel, begin to think in some unspecified way about mitigation and adaptation at natural landscapes, and look into better technology for detecting wildfires or high-risk areas. In terms of conservation, it looks like they will continue to pursue what is already being done in some way, focusing on community-led projects and the rights of hunters. They will also try to stop dumping sewage into water, stop exporting plastic unless they know it will be recycled, minimize plastic waste in an unspecified way, and try to find better marine shipping routes. And finally, in order to take the climate fight global, they will incentivize the greenest Canadian companies to expand internationally, sell more green bonds, and rebrand what might be relatively clean but unspecified Canadian products as Canadian clean in order to make them more appealing. I, I think I, I'm holding back so much, so much sarcasm. First to go uh, to you folks, uh, any, anything that you want to you have to add on to, to these plans or any idea what Canadian clean means is also uh, would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> Um, I think the important thing to know about the conservative plan is that it's kind of predicated on this this promise, this idea that we can innovate, we can innovate our way out of climate change. Um, we've seen this a lot. Jason Kenney made a lot of the same promises in his platform in the Alberta election in the spring, and um, unfortunately, it's not really true as far as anyone can see. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, if you look at the oil sands as an example, emissions there have increased a lot over the last 10 years while producers were implementing a lot of green tech. Um, and that happened because expansion kept happening. <laughs> so um, a lot of the most promising developments in green, in, uh, green technology are still years away. 
from being feasible in any way. And um, given that we have, what, a matter of months, a matter of a couple of years to, to make these really quick, huge changes, it doesn't seem like it's really a viable solution. <laughs> um, I also want to add that in terms of investing in clean tech, um, a, a news outlet called The Logic actually had a scoop this week that the, the current government's green tech fund um, is struggling to find viable investments. Mm. Um, so I think that there are some questions that have to be asked there. I've spent the week talking to environmental experts um, to try and understand what it means if these policies actually are implemented once any of these parties take office. Um, and all of them start by saying the conservative plan is going to get us nowhere. <laughs> all of them. I'm right. talking across the board, and I think I've spoken to 10 this right. week, so alone. And I've read like everything that came out this uh, this week as well about climate plans. Um, I think that, you know, banking your climate plan on removing the carbon tax is theoretically not possible based on everything economists and environmentalists say, uh, based on years and years of research. Um, and in fact, getting rid of the carbon tax will actually increase our emissions. Um, you know, just policy options, which is a, an online um website analysis site uh, found that if uh, the conservatives get rid of the current carbon pricing system and they replace it with optional incentives, uh, air quotes, um, that they'll more than likely increase Canada's carbon emissions and that's going to be a problem. Um, so if you want to vote for a climate policy, <laughs> maybe don't vote <laughs> conservative um, uh, because uh, economists and environmentalists say that's not going to help us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I have a, I have a, a couple like, – there's, there's a little couple weird things. Whenever I get see a conservative climate plan, I remember Doug Ford's included picking up litter. And I just remember, I, I, the minute I saw that, I was like, oh, so you're just not trying. Like, there's just no version of a climate plan that includes litter pickup that is trying to do anything. You just... Well, listen, I was there when Doug Ford, you know, made removing the carbon tax his first policy announcement, and I have covered it since. And it's, it's like, we don't have the numbers yet, but it's not looking good for Ontario in terms of climate policy, is it? Like, we don't have a cap and trade system. We don't. They say they have a Made in Ontario climate plan, but we don't really know what that looks like anymore. Instead, uh, you know, a story I had a couple months ago found that when he canceled cap and trade, he also canceled 227 clean energy projects. Yeah. So we like if Doug Ford is the microcosm for an Andrew Scheer government, then then we know how this looks yeah. moving forward. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, but I want to tell you one. Yeah. Um Basically echoing what you said, if you want to vote for a party that has a climate plan, um, this isn't it. Um, so something that uh, just was released, I think, yesterday uh, from a researcher named uh, Simon Donner on the West Coast. Um, I'm not too familiar with his work, uh, but he is a he's a university professor. Um, and he did a really good sort of analysis of all the different party platforms, uh, matching them against uh, sort of a, a projected carbon budget that we would have to uh, sort of align ourselves with if we were to remain below 1.5C on a global scale. Mm -hmm. And he was sort of looking at um, if Canada was to do its fair share, what would our carbon budget be? And under sort of like without any carbon policy at all, we would be using about 725 uh, megatons a year by 2030. Um, and under the conservative plan, we would be using about 725 <laughs> megatons of carbon per year. So basically, this plan results in 
absolutely no meaningful reduction in our carbon emissions every year. Um, and yeah, to sort of, I, I know this has already been said, but, but to reiterate, they're replacing the carbon plan with this with this sort of like investment idea. And it's the idea that there's a an, an unknown emission limit. We don't know what that is. Um, and if you as a business exceed this unknown emission limit, you will have to invest an unknown amount of money in an unknown set of programs. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of reminds me of, and I feel like I've talked about this before, but like, that episode of South Park where there's the underwear gnomes stealing Butter's <laughs> underpants, and it's like step one, steal underpants. Step two, ooh, step three, profit. And like that's what this plan is to me. Yeah. And I, I want to say uh, the conservatives haven't been out there talking climate. No. We're talking, you know, their rebuttal during the Quebec debate this week has been that Justin Trudeau has two planes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're not. They're not trying. And they weren't at any of the climate strikes. Right. Um, and when reporters have tried to have meaningful conversations with them about climate, about environment, about energy, um, we get the yes, we have a plan, but this is what it looks like. But when you ask for impact and what it means. We don't really get any details beyond that. You know, the uh, a bunch of environmental groups did this huge survey for four parties that whose results were released earlier this week. Um, conservatives refused to answer like specific questions about whether they would, you know, address toxics, whether they would work with indigenous communities, whether they would, um, you know, address oil sands and, and pipelines and such like and such. Instead, they sent a blanket statement, which is the same stuff that you read out earlier this morning. So we really aren't having a meaningful conversations with the conservatives. So if they do have intentions beyond what they've stated in their platform, I mean, I know I would be happy to talk to them and hear that, but we, we need to know more. We need to understand more what they're thinking. I think um, we're hearing a lot of cognitive dissonance. You know, like uh, the talking point I hear a lot is, well, the liberal plan won't get us there. Sure, but... It will get us closer. Yeah. Like it's a plan. You know, right. We can at least ad- identify if it will work or not. This is not that. Exactly. Um, though, to the conservatives' credit, they say in their plan that they do have plans for uh, credits for transit passes and home renovation. So, mm. you know. It's okay. Band-aid for a sword wound. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> We're so ready for this. Um, and I, I want to I, I wanna, I bring attention to, because I think it's, it's an interesting separation, I think, between... Uh, I would say when you think about what the youth movement is asking for and what establishment is is sort of saying, which is this unbelievable obsession with basements. The 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 establish like I understand that the insurance industry is scared of basement flooding. I understand that if you own a home, you are scared of basement flooding. But the number of people who seem to be fo- so focused on the main risk of climate change being that your basement, which of course all of us who live uh, who are thirty can afford a house that could get flooded. Like, hey, I saw it. I'm afraid of a flooded basement. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's it's a bad thing, and honestly, it hurts renters probably even more. But again, that's not even part of the conversation. It's not even it's not even a conversation about what to do with the fact that renters who rent basements are really at risk. It's what to do when your house gets flooded. And and again, I'm not saying that basement flooding is not important, but like. When, when you are, have 50,000 people go on the streets and say, we need massive climate action, and your response is, well, here's $3,000 so your basement isn't flooded, that's just <laughs> not the same conversation. I mean, total sidetrack, but we, 
yes, this election is cool because we're talking about climate, but are we really talking about climate the way that we should? Like, you know, many people have said that we should be having a more nuanced conversation. Like, it shouldn't just be about emissions. It should be about local impacts. It should be about the intersection between climate policy and housing, climate policy and immigration, climate policy and, you know, communities of color. Um, And we're not having those conversations. Instead, we're seeing political parties say, hey, well, their plan sucks. Oh, but they have two planes. Right. Oh, but they're never going to make government. And how are you meant to assess if if which party is uh, the right one to really address the biggest crisis of our of our times? Yeah, yeah. Like unless yeah, exactly. It's I think unless you are unless you're bringing what the climate lens to you know this is what the the you know the, what we what our time and what what the push was to get a climate debate was right. And you you saw a bit of it what it could have looked like when CNN hosted the town hall about climate change, which it then was climate change and these other conversations. But yeah, you know, like to to pretend that part of uh, you know, part of the 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 PPC's platform of that is basically xenophobic rejection of migrants is not partially part of the cognitive climate change is missing some of the, the larger conversation, right? They're like the you ha- migrant rights have to be a part of and immigration rights have to be a part of climate policy uh, because this is or else you're not doing it. But the next two plans at least do get a little bit closer to that conversation. Uh, so uh, I do want to want to get to the music break so we can uh, get to them and because we ran a little over time being a little. Too too sarcastic by the conservatives. So let's go to the the music break. The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. And welcome back to The Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM or on one of our radio syndicate partners or on the podcast at greenmajority.ca. I believe that was Arcade Fire. That was Arcade Fire. I don't know what the song was, but uh, that's... Tunnels, man! That's Tunnels. Tunnels number one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's Canadian content. And we are uh, continuing to discuss the climate platforms of the four major federal parties running in this election. Uh, And now we're moving to the New Democratic Party. And uh, here we have it. The NDP plan touts itself as a clean economy that works better for people. Stating, quote, our plan to fight climate change will create at least 300,000 new jobs, save families money, and take on big polluters. The time for delay and denial is over. It's time to act. They wish to establish an independent climate accountability office to audit Canada's climate goals, maintain the carbon tax but take away the breaks it gives to some of the biggest polluters, eliminate fossil fuel subsidies and use the money to fund green energy, run all federal buildings on renewables, and make all government vehicles electric by 2025. They will help workers with employment insurance and training for a greener economy and support Canadian clean tech innovation. They will also require large-scale building retrofits in all sectors, attempt to retrofit all housing stock in Canada by 2050 through low-interest loans, ensure that every new building is net zero after 2030, and help communities prepare for extreme weather. 
They will expand public transit and try to move towards making it free for riders, and attempt to electri- and attempt to electrify all transit and municipal vehicles by 2030, reestablish and expand rural bus routes, support rail travel, invest in zero emissions vehicles, making the government an active partner in research, development, and and manufacturing, attempt to create all new cars zero emissions, attempt to make all new cars zero emissions by 2040, expand charging networks, help people install. Plug in chargers in their homes and make it cheaper for people to buy the vehicles,、uh, and promote community planning that encourages walking and cycling. They will also quote set a target to power Canada with net carbon-free electricity by 2030, and move to 100% non-emitting electricity by 2050. They will establish a Canadian climate bank in order to boost investments in renewables, efficiency, and green tech, help、uh, interconnect power grids, employ smart grid technology, and support Canadian manufacturing of renewable energy components. They will also support community-owned and operated clean energy projects and expand public consultation over new energy projects. The NDP will also ban single-use plastics across the country, hold companies responsible for the entire life cycle of the plastics they use, try to improve recycling and waste management, and hold a zero-waste future as a near-divine aspirational emblem to be achieved in a distant utopia. In terms of conservation, they vow, like the Liberals, to protect almost a third of Canadian territory by 2030. They will also try to establish a system of urban national parks, expand tree planting somehow, try to protect various species, protect fresh water from international agreements, try to minimize the gap between farmer and consumer, monitor and protect bees and other pollinators, and develop a national food waste strategy. All right.、Uh, so that is a a lot of things.、Uh, so first、uh, to you,、uh, for the National Observer folks.、Um, so this plan is definitely ambitious. Yes.、Um, they're also touting it as a Green New Deal. Yeah. So that's interesting and, and cool. They're also pledging、uh, to keep carbon pricing, and they have set much deeper goals than the Liberals, which is cool.、Um, I don't know the details, though. I don't know what it looks like when we move from proposal to policy,、um, and it could have a lot of problems. A lot of the NDP climate plan is rooted in gr- the idea of green jobs,、um, but they're doing so in a way that will move a lot of the provincial labor tax systems and also disrupt industries. And when you disrupt industry, there always comes a lot of problems with that. So we don't know what that'll look like,、um, and. At the same time,、um, while goals are good and ambition is good,、um, there needs to be a more serious conversation among the NDP about how they're going to work with provinces, which they don't have at present. We know what the Libs are going to do. We also know what the Conservatives are going to do in this regard. We don't know how the NDP is going to manage this weird landscape that we have at present, with like a lot of blue provinces that are very anti-carbon pricing. Should the NDP make government? I know it's it's slightly <laughs> unlikely, but should they do? We don't know what those relationships will look like. And if we've learned anything over the past year, it's that you can't have a good climate plan without、uh, a strong federation and a strong sort of working relationship with the federation. So I have I'm I'm very happy with the ambition. I'm very confused on the details, and I want more 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 policy information from the NDP. Yeah, the, the the amount which you know, if Kyoto twenty years ago taught us anything, it is that without the without without provinces, we are we are 
you know, we're doomed. We're doomed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least, or, or at least you have to focus on very specific things like a, like a carbon tax. But um, uh, am I yeah, got anything? Or is that was uh, was good. I have a few additional thoughts. Okay. Um, <laughs> one interesting thing that um, I noticed about the NDP plan is that it doesn't really talk about what to do with the oil sands. Like I think it mentions bitumen, but it doesn't mention the oil sands, and that's got to be a crucial piece of anything that talks about Canada's environmental future. I'll give them credit for bringing up the UN Declaration for the Rights of Indigenous People because we, we cannot have this discussion without it, talking about environmental justice and justice for Indigenous people. But, um, yeah, I want more details. The, the provincial jurisdiction thing is really hard because the NDP are advocating to have provinces have veto rights over pipelines, but they're also, on the other hand, trying to override provincial rights when it comes to other issues around electricity. So that's a weird contrast that someone's going to have to sort out, and it might be difficult to actually achieve what they're saying they want to achieve. Right. And, and very quickly, shout out to the NDP comms guy who replied to the Liberals' $2 billion tree program mm -hmm. with a press release that just said, in all capital letters, you bought a pipeline. Uh, as a reporter, yeah. that press release was pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Although, let's not forget, Jagmeet Singh has said that he supports liquefied nat natural gas projects in B.C., so... Weird contrast. See, we do finish each other's sentences. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Lauren, do you? Yeah, literally no original thoughts. You two covered everything. I think we were all using the same articles as references. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, just to sort of uh, echo what's been said, a lot of really amazing things, specifically uh, the points around like full implementation of UNDRIP, and uh, although it sh falls short of a federal jobs guarantee, a lot of really, really awesome points around, around employment, uh, job training for people who are currently in the oil and gas sector. And, and elimination of fossil fuel subsidies. I mean, I know it's something we've heard before a zillion times, but, like, if they would actually follow through with it, bomb. Um, but, but yeah, sort of echoing those same... Uh, that, that same trepidation around uh, a lack of detail and, and that sort of mm, uh, thorn in your side that is federalism. Um, like, even, even more so than, like, the importance of the relationships we have with provinces, but, like, that, that issue of, of jurisdiction and the fact that, like, there's a lot of really amazing things that they want to do around, like, overhauling the energy and electricity grids, but, like, that's provincial, that's provincial territory. Yeah. You, you can't dictate that as prime minister much as you might like to. So, um... I guess, I guess overall, really happy with the NDP platform in the sense that it, it feels like this is a party that is truly listening to people, and they're they're going to things like those marches and hearing what people are yelling in the streets, and, and they're responding, and they're trying to do so in a way that, that uplifts minority populations and 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 sort of puts the worker at the forefront, um, understandably so, because the NDP's always had pretty solid relationships <laughs> with labor, obviously. But um, but yeah, still a little bit unsure about how they actually see themselves being able to implement this this plan. Yeah, it's, man, yeah, we could talk forever about the you know the fact that Ontario's emissions dropped significantly during the Harper years, but not because of Harper whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I, well, it, or the recession, which also Harper took a lot of credit for, but that's an entirely different matter. Uh, I want to make sure we actually get to the Greens because we, again, spent so much time uh, making fun of the Conservatives. So yes, the Green, <coughs> the Green platform states, quote, The Green Party has been telling the truth about climate for decades. Alone among political parties, the Green Party has a climate emergency response plan that recognizes our house is on fire. The Green Party would double our current emissions target to 60% below 2005 levels by 2030. They would approve no new pipelines, fossil fuel drilling, or mining, phase out existing oil and gas operations, no longer producing any bitumen by 2035, 
ban fracking, use some orphaned wells to produce geothermal or local district energy, cancel Trans Mountain and all other fossil fuel subsidies, and redirect the money to a Canadian grid strategy and renewable energy transition, attaining a 100% renewable grid by 2030. They say they will be able to create over 4 million jobs through huge investment in retrofitting, requiring new construction to be net zero after 2030. They will ban combustion engines and passenger vehicles by 2030, exempt electric and zero emission vehicles from federal sales tax, expand charging stations, look at using biofuels for heavy machinery, invest hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in rail, convert all ferries to electric or hybrid by 2030, invest in cycling and walking, develop a green freight transport program to work with other countries to create an international tax on aviation and shipping fuels to put towards the Global Climate Fund. In terms of adaption, they want to uh, climate-proof infrastructure like drinking water and wastewater systems to protect against flooding, droughts, and contamination. Start a massive tree planting campaign with an aim to restoring natural buffer zones along waterways and helping with fire suppression. Renew the abandoned national forest strategy to create sound and resilient forests with maximal carbon sink potential and increase forest fire preparedness. They also want to uh, fully restore the Environmental Assessment Act, put stringent regulations on pesticides and other chemicals, develop a national safe drinking water strategy, ban all single-use plastics by 2022, and protect at least 30% of waters and land by 2030. In general, the Green Party wants to overhaul the economic system, going so far as to invoke the common Greek etymological root of economy and ecology, which is eco, meaning home or household. To this end, they want to transition to a new green economy which measures progress through well-being, moves beyond consumerism, is powered by renewable energy, is designed around closed-loop production systems, focuses on food security and zero waste, guarantees a livable income, provides universal affordable housing, healthcare, and education, tackles racism and sexism, and focuses on community resilience and self-reliance, and ensures fair taxation and distribution of money. Without getting into their big list of specifics, I will mention that it would focus on a just transition for workers, forgiving student debt, closing tax havens and loopholes, raising taxes for big corporations, and implementing a corporate tax on e-commerce companies like Netflix. All right, we have four minutes, so we can do this quickly. Uh, What do you guys got? I think the big issue is, once again, feasibility. Um, It's important to note that the first version of the Green Party's budget didn't pass um, pass a muster test from an institute that is assessing these things. They they just resubmitted it and it did pass um, this time, but it's still rated very low in terms of how feasible it is. Um, For me, the Green Plan is like the plan that you want to see the world become, Mm -hmm. but is completely impossible because there's seven people billion people in this world and it's impossible to transition them very quickly um how are you going to do it um the ambition is there um the willingness to address it has always been there from the greens um but but we don't know how they're going to do it and every scientist environmentalist economist says that it's impossible to do it in the time frame that they set out and it's going to cost us a ton right yeah and I know we sound really difficult to please. <laughs> like we, we, we make fun of the liberals for for not like having a plan that's feasible but not that ambitious. Now we see an ambitious plan and we're like, well, it's not feasible. <laughs> um, but I think that's like I think it's I think it just goes to show it's like yes, this is a difficult this this is a conundrum of sorts, and unfortunately, it's really hard to meet the level of ambition that we need in order to like not die a hot hot death, but like actually be able to do so in a, in a feasible amount of time and with a feasible 
Actually, no, I'm not going to talk about money. Money's a construct. It's not real. Um, <laughs> but, like, in, in a feasible amount of time, I guess. And, like, understanding that, like, you do have to respect, again, like, provincial jurisdiction and stuff. Um, I guess, like, it, focusing on the positives, though, there's some amazing things in this. Um, the idea of, like, a community environment service corps for, like, youth employment. That's amazing. Um, and, like, harkens back to, like, some of the better elements of, of like, an, an otherwise quite racist New Deal out of the 30s. Anyway, we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, and, like, the idea that they're going to implement, like, a council of Canadian government whereby, like, Indigenous nations would sit alongside, like, federal, municipal, provincial um, groups uh, to, to, to sort of I don't know, have say in laws and ruling. That's great. Um, so so there's some really, really awesome elements of this. Um, but also, like, the Greens have, like, 7%. Yeah. I, right I get it. The house is on fire. Right. But unfortunately, we have to be practical unless every single one of us is willing to change everything about our lives. Like, if you're willing to stop driving, stop drinking from plastic cups, like, change everything, then, you know, pick the plan that supports that, but we might want to be a little practical in, in our choices. Right. That's the other thing, though, is that when you listen to Elizabeth May in interviews, she upholds, she's like, nope, you are not going to have to change an element of your life. Don't worry about it, guys. Right. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think the, well, thank you all so much uh, for being here. Um, we will probably have more thoughts on the election as we get closer to it. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I, I will say that I, I at least hope that come October 22nd, we all feel we can feel like we're actually trying to do something. Mm. Um, and so we've seen the four somethings that we have to, that, that, that we have to offer. Uh, our apologies to the Marxist Leninists. We couldn't get you on. Uh, <laughs> but uh, have a wonderful week, everyone. Uh, check out the National Observer for more election coverage. Thank you always. as Lauren. Uh, have a great week and see you all real soon. Yeah, if you wanted a plan that's both ambitious and feasible, stay tuned for my special segment. Let's take care. <laughs>